Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 13 of Revelation chapter 11. And we're continuing to look at verse 10. Revelation 11 verse 10 says, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And then also in verse 11, And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Uh, again, we're continuing to look at the two witnesses that are killed. The death of the two witnesses is laid out for us in um, in the previous verses, and the two witnesses represent the witness of the word of God in the congregations during the church age, and then when they're killed and overcome, that's the end of the church age, the Bible loses all effectiveness because God's Spirit has left. And it takes God's Spirit to save. You know, um, some people say, at this point in time, in the Day of Judgment, where we're at, that it's not possible that God has ended His salvation program because The true believers are still here. We're still in the world living here. And therefore, since believers are here, they insist the Spirit of God is here to save. Well, uh, besides not um, harmonizing with many Bible verses, uh, there's a, a big problem with that, with the example that God gave us concerning his judgment on the churches. What does he say? But judgment begins at the house of God. And uh, let, let me read this in 1 Peter 4, because it, it actually says more than that. In 1 Peter 4, verse 17, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And that would be at the churches. And then it continues, And if it first begin at us, What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So there, there, there is two groups in view. The judgment that begins at the house of God and then the other group of people, those that obey not the gospel, which would be a reference to the unsafe people of the earth. And, and we know the Bible instructs us judgment begins on the church and after a while transitions to the world. And God gives the cup of his wrath first to the city called by his name, which is language pointing to the church, and then the same identical cup is given to the unsaved people of the earth. And so since the judgment is basically one, and and the 10,000 overall days points to that, 
that is 8,400 days of judgment on the churches, followed by 1,600 days of judgment on the world, and combined a a total of 10,000 days, which points to the completeness of the judgment upon the unsaved people of the earth in the church and out of the church. God is viewing the final judgment in that case, as a whole, as as a complete judgment, and and so we can learn many things about the uh, final judgment on the people outside of the churches in the world by looking at how God brought the judgment on those within the congregations during the the judgment period on them that twenty three years, and what we see is that God left the church at the very beginning, May 21, 1988. The church age ended. God left. The Holy Spirit came out of the midst. Satan entered in, and immediately the two witnesses are slain. And and yet, at that point in time, within the churches of the world, you could find many true believers. It was not God's purpose to uh, let his people know right away what he had done. Actually, it wasn't for several years into the Great Tribulation period, around the year 2001, some 13 years after it began, that God began to open up information and have it published that the church age was over and and that it was his command that his people come out of the church. Well, um, let's think about this. That means for years, years, some true believers were in the church and and they were actively sharing the gospel. That's the nature of a child of God. They they could have gone on track trips. They could have been sharing with friends or whatever. Yet God's Spirit had left the church. So there we have a case where God's Spirit has uh, abandoned an, an entity, the corporate body, the New Testament churches, and yet the true believers remain behind within that same church. Now, uh, must there be salvation for the, the members of the congregation because there's true believers within those churches? No. No. The, the presence of a true believer within the church meant nothing as far as salvation is concerned. The presence of a true believer cannot deliver salvation. We cannot save anyone at all. And God is not obligated to save anyone just because a true believer happens to be present. And the 23 years of the end of the church age is a testimony to that truth. But especially that 2300 evening mornings wherein virtually no one was saved. Absolutely no one was saved within the churches and congregations. Absolutely, throughout the entire 23-year period, no one was saved within the church. 
That would have been an impossibility. It takes God's spirit. God left the church on their own while also leaving the true believers still there for a period of time. And and one thing we can learn, perhaps one of the reasons God did this, is we can take that example and learn from it that the presence of a child of God in an area where God is judging the people, as he was all those within the congregations, God's wrath was upon them. The judgment was the removal of the Holy Spirit and the end of salvation within the church. There was a famine of hearing, not a famine of bread of water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. And faith comes by hearing. So there was no faith, no salvation, no opening of the ears of any person during the entire duration of the great tribulation of the judgment upon them. But how how can it be then when people say that God must still be saving because the believers are in the world? It cannot be. God has given us proof positive. He has given us the example of what he did to the church. And now, all right, May 21, 2011 comes. It's the day that the judgment on the church expires. It's finished. And it's the day of transition where um, the judgment expands to include every unsaved person in all the world. And God's Spirit departs and God abandons the world just as he did the church. In the sense, he will no longer work the work of salvation. That's what Jesus meant when he says that um, he, he must do the works of the one that sent him while it is day. The night cometh wherein no man can work. And he's referring to himself. He cannot perform the work of salvation in the spiritual night. It, it is only during the day of salvation that he can perform that work. And so on May 21, 2011, the tribulation ends. Immediately after the tribulation, the sun is darkened. It becomes spiritual night. Christ cannot. It, it's uh, impossible. There, number one, there's no one to save because everyone to be saved whose name was recorded in the Lamb's book of life has been found. How can you save someone who has not been predestinated to salvation? How can you save someone whose sins were not beforehand from the foundation of the world laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and so God has accomplished all that he intended to accomplish regarding salvation of his elect. And, and so he just leaves off saving. He abandons his evangelization program as far as ministering the gospel to the world that individuals might hear and become saved because there's no purpose any longer for that. There's no reason to do that. God knows that the lost sheep of the house of Israel have been found. And uh, I'm sorry, but the gospel has never been for the psychological well-being of people. It's never been sent forth 
just so people could feel good that that uh, there's still a gospel out there uh, that that uh, is available. That's never been the purpose. The purpose has always been specific, designed by God to locate those lost sheep. He sent them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And once the sheep were all found, as they were, then there's no more sending. That That's what we've been uh, proclaiming at eBible, is that God has ended that program of sending forth the believers as messengers of the gospel to seek and find the lost sheep. That is all over and done with because it's been completed. It, it's a excellent reason, really, for not going forth with the gospel to uh, uh, to find sinners that they might become saved is because God has won the victory in that area. He has done what uh, he intended to do. And, and yet some people fail to understand this and they claim, no, the believers are still here. Therefore, God must still be saving and they're not looking at what God did to the churches where he left the believers therein for years and did no work of salvation. They're not looking at other scriptures that indicate it's God's plan to try the believers, to try his people to in order to bring them forth through a spiritual fire as silver and gold as they come out at the end enduring to the the end of all things and and they're not looking at the tableau or the demonstration that God says his people will make in in appearing before the judgment seat of God we must all appear before the judgment seat of God and that is the we is referring to the true believers not in order to make payment for sin but to demonstrate that we have already made payment in the person of Christ for our sin from the foundation of the world when Jesus went through the that purging baptism, the, the fires of God's wrath to uh, wash away our sins. And, and, and so all these things are in view and in effect during this period of Judgment Day and it, it is just not true. It's just not true that the presence of true believers means that there must be salvation. That That is a false claim that some people who are desperate, they really are desperate. They're, they're trying everything they can think of. They're, they're searching the Bible up and down to prove it's not so. That is the doctrine that God shut the door and and they're not searching the Bible correctly then because remember when God commends the Bereans, it's for searching to see if it's so. It's more of, well, let me see if the Bible teaches this. Let me see if it's so. Rather than let me get out my concordance and, and find whatever I can find to disprove this heresy. You see how their minds already bent and made up in a direction. And of course, the, 
apart from the grace of God, it will remain in set, fully set in that direction that they have gone in. Well, uh, all right, let, let's go back here to Revelation 11 and verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. In our last study, we saw that the word rejoice, depending on how it's used, can be positive or negative. And uh, it's a good thing to rejoice over God's salvation program, to rejoice over the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yet there is some uh, it, when the world rejoices, it's um, at at calamity or at perceived disaster that has struck the kingdom of God. When Christ was taken, or or when Judas covenanted for silver to betray the Lord Jesus, the the chief priests rejoiced, and and that was an evil rejoicing. There was nothing good about their joy in that instance. We, we saw how the true believer rejoices in the truth, but those that are not true believers rejoice in iniquity. And this is the nature of the world. They rejoice in things they shouldn't rejoice in. And they're sorrowful at things they, they shouldn't be sorrowful at. It's reversed from the, the true, uh, situation, uh, uh, really, uh, uh, God's word ought to be a cause of rejoicing. Truth ought to be a cause of rejoicing for all men. When all people hear truth from the Bible, that should uh, make their hearts rejoice in God and rejoice in His word. Isn't it wonderful that God has, has brought me the truth? And yet, the, uh, the reality is normally that there there is hostility towards that truth. And they save their rejoicing for evil things. And in the case of the two witnesses, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. Now we looked at Obadiah when Esau rejoiced uh, that, that his brother um, was being uh, devastated by the enemy. But we also find... In Jeremiah 50, in Jeremiah 50, that God faults the Babylonians for the very same thing. In Jeremiah 50, beginning in verse 10, it says, In Chaldea, Chaldea is another name for Babylon, In Chaldea shall be a spoil, all that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith Jehovah, because, that is, this is why God's going to spoil Babylon, and, and to spoil them means to destroy them and to give their treasures and riches to the, the conquering army. Be, and this is the reason in verse 11, because ye were glad, because ye rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage. God took note that, uh, not only was Satan carrying out the will of God, but he was doing so in in a very joyful manner, if we can say that of Satan. 
It's sort of like Jehu, the, the, uh, captain who God made king of Israel, but first the Lord gave Jehu a task to slay the evil king and his family that ruled over Israel. And Jehu went about the task zealously. It was something he was very good at, destruction. And so Jehu is a type of Satan also. Well, God gave up the church to Satan and his emissaries, and they relished the opportunity to do all that they could do against the the people of God to ruin the the word of God or the testimony of the word of God within the churches and congregations they uh, they they just brought great destruction and they did so eagerly and here God says they were glad and they rejoiced and and again that would point to the world happy that the the testimony of the two witnesses which would have been the declaration of the word of god with the power of the spirit of god behind it convicting them in their conscience troubling their minds be, because they couldn't escape far enough away from this witness of the bible it it really was um, to a degree, a torment to them that, uh, that, that, um, just made them very uncomfortable. And now that was finished. Now the, those truths that were being declared were gone. The, the power behind them was gone. And even the declaration of those truths was being cast aside by the church now that God had left the church. For instance, the church um, would have taught for for centuries that divorce is wrong, that a man and a woman should stay married. And even though that would have been something that blessed the, the people of the world, yet it was a form of torment to them because they couldn't do their sinful pleasure and and take a wife or leave a wife as, 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 as they chose. And, but now the church age was over. Now those in the churches were becoming just like them. There's just as many divorced people in the churches outside the church. The pastors even divorced. The elders divorced. The deacons divorced. So no more torment. No more, um, troubled mind regarding divorce. That Law of God has been trampled underfoot by this assault against the churches. Or take Sunday, Sunday the Sabbath, that was correctly taught by the churches for centuries. And the church bells would ring in the town, in the city, and the city otherwise would be, would be quiet. Work was not taking place in Many places where the word of God had come and churches were established. People understood Sunday was a day to go to church. Sunday was the Lord's day, not a day to work, not a day to play, a day to be involved with spiritual things. But then came the end of the church age and then the witness of God 
behind the proclamation of Sunday the Sabbath was removed, and suddenly churches were having Super Bowl parties, and suddenly churches were where uh, the the pastor might have a part-time job later in the evening, or the members of the congregation were working more and more. And, and then there was like any other day of the week, the torment that was behind the declaration of Sunday the Sabbath that was a trouble. It, it, it vexed the people of the world. They they wanted that day like any other day. They wanted their own pleasure to do their own will on that day. And now, finally, no more torment, no more bothered mind. How can they be bothered by this church? This church, uh, they'll serve you beer while you watch football in some churches on Sunday. Of course, there's no more witness of that true doctrine of the Bible within the churches, and that, it, it, it's just many things like that, that the torment that had been there, as as God had his uh, congregation declare these things, had now ended. Now there was, there, there was no torment, because there was no further witness, no true witness any longer with the power of God's Spirit behind it. And now we see the fruit. We see the result all over the world. And and in countries where Sunday used to be respected as the Lord's Day, it's just uh, a day for shopping, a day for sports, a day for work. Like any other day of the week, sometimes it's even more trampled upon than other days of the week. And, and this is all result of the death of the two witnesses as God ushered in, he brought in the end of the age, the end of the world stage had come. And this was God's plan to uh, allow the churches to become um, a, a vain witness to his word. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.